The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were accustomed to fast. People came to Jesus and objected, Why do the disciples of John and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunken cloth on an old cloak. If he does, its fullness pulls away, the new from the old, and the tear gets worse. Likewise, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the skins are ruined. Rather, new wine is poured into fresh wineskins. The Gospel of the Lord. Yeah, I find um, perhaps most interesting uh, about this Gospel passage the fact that it comes uh, so early in the Gospel of Mark. Um, because it's really, I mean, Jesus here is, is throwing himself uh, into the teeth of the opposition and uh, not avoiding um, conflict and, and very, very clear on what it is he, uh, he, he intends to accomplish. I'm, I'm not sure that we get all of that at, at first glance, um, but it's, it's certainly all there. And, uh, you know, perhaps more to the point, um, you know, th- this is the, uh, perhaps in some way, the, the opening salvo of the kingdom of God movement that, that Jesus is launching. And, uh, and we're going to see, uh, yeah, just, just how that kingdom of God movement challenges the, the, um, the settled uh, powers and authorities of, of the day, even the ones that uh, perhaps did not expect to be uh, challenged and confronted, given the fact that this is uh, itself a kingdom of God movement. So we said the, the Pharisees, the disciples of, of John, the disciples of John the Baptist, right? They, I mean, this is, again, the, the, some of the opening pages of the gospel. This is, this is where, the, um, where the challenge is being felt, the fact that Jesus' disciples are not fasting. I think the first thing to, to see is that, the, you know, the traditional fasts of, of Israel were, um, say, observances of uh, the, the consequences of their own rebellion or disobedience, like the, at least the way that they understood it, right? The destruction of the, of the temple um, is, uh, it, sorry, is, um, is what the, uh, the, the chief fasts are, are observing, and um, what, in their minds, the, the destruction of the temple is, is the result of their disobedience. So it's the question there is, it's a, it's a multi-layered question right, before we even get to what Jesus is going to offer in response, right? It's like, why do, you, why do you not fast? It's not as though, like, you know, fasting is this universal discipline, like, and it's, and it's universally recognized as, as this great good and the rest. Perhaps, you know, by a spiritually advanced people, of course, you know, we're all fasting and we all, we all recognize that it's good to be fasting and, and you guys are not. Um, it's, it's more of a kind of a, a look back, a reminder, and something of a chastisement, right? So it's like, okay, we get it. The, the disobedience of old brought about the destruction of the temple. We're fasting so as to conform our lives more closely to God and, and His way. 
in observance of, of that destruction that has happened. Um, but we're looking to we're looking then to the future, look back to look to look forward into a into a new time of, of obedience, a new time of, of the glory of God and his his dwelling among us. Especially in that that great advance signpost of God's presence among us, the temple. But of course, Jesus is, is the new temple. And some of that is in the air here, right? So some of this is to say, no, a new day is dawning in the kingdom work of Christ Jesus. The Messiah is on the scene. The king is on the scene. He's here now to lead the renewal of which the temple was an advanced signpost. And so something new, something terribly new is happening. Of course, it's rooted very deeply in the old. And so he's using all of the, all of the say, symbolic language, all the, all the language that uh, that refers to the, the traditional um, view of, of Israel, especially their relationship with God and, and the covenants and, and the rest. But here he is on the scene, um, you know, renewing them as a people, renewing Israel as a people. So he, and even here, right, the, the wedding feast, this, this language is very, is very provocative because now he's going to say, Jesus is going to say, he is the bridegroom. He is the bridegroom, right? God is the, God is the bridegroom to Israel, his bride. So Jesus is saying, I mean, we're, in the, we're only in the second chapter of, of the Gospel of Mark, right? I, I love those kind of um, contemporary interpretations of the Scripture that, uh, I don't know, they're probably used more, um, more often in, uh, in the realm of apologetics than, any, than anything else. So there's a kind of superficiality to it anyway, because it's like, okay, we're, we're trying to prove our point over and against another point. And one of the points of contention always in our contemporary world is, you know, whether or not Jesus claimed to be God. Yeah, and it, the tough thing is, of course, when we say, when we're asking a question whether or not Jesus claimed to be God, we're using all of our uh, terms and conditions rather than entering into the proclamation of say, the, the gospel, the, the, the narrative whole of the gospel, Jesus' own approach to that, to that question. Right? Because, yes, he is, but, but in a, not in perhaps the way that we understand those, those words to be. Because when we, when we say God, uh, perhaps because of our, our culture, and, and it's not, say, strictly uh, American, uh, but it certainly is American, is a deist conception of God, right? So God is somewhere out there, and he doesn't have very much to do with with his creation, but this is, that's not the God that Jesus is, that Jesus is, and that Jesus is in the flesh. Yeah, he, he is the God of Israel, and so this, it's right that he's picking up these, these themes, these, uh, these images that have been, that have been used to, uh, to speak of God's relationship uh, to his people, but, but it's really quite shocking when he does it, right here again in the second chapter. The bridegroom is on the scene. Can the wedding guests face while the bridegroom is with them? I mean, how many of you have gone to a wedding where you didn't eat anything? Yeah, <laughs> you didn't, probably didn't enjoy it all that much, you know, like <laughs> if you did go. I mean, I go to plenty of weddings where I don't eat anything because they served the meal too late for me. You know, it's, I'm an old man. It doesn't, it doesn't work out too well for me. So, um, but I'm happy to be with them. There's something about the celebration of, of a wedding that speaks per, very profoundly of God's goodness, his creative purposes, what he wants to, what he wants to do in the world and the rest. And Jesus, again, is, is using this image that has been uh, used to refer to God and, and his people. And here he is. There, there is no space for them to fast. 
right? It, you know, there, there's also that, um, you know, we have in, in our tradition, right, any, any number of times or, or places where fasting is appropriate and then where it's not, right? So I know, I know I hate to spoil it for you, even, you know, outside of Lent, but you know, Sundays, in, Sundays in Lent are not fast days, right? Because Jesus is risen. We're, we, have to, we have to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, the Sunday. We have to. So fasting is not entirely appropriate on a, on a Sunday. Well, Jesus, is the li- Jesus here in the scriptures is the living exemption to the fast. Right? If we're going to fast every, if we're not going to fast, if we're going to feast every, every Sunday, if we're going to celebrate every Sunday, well, wherever Jesus is, there is celebration. Because there you have the, the wedding feast of heaven and earth, the restoration of, of God's people, you know, in, in advance of, of the restoration of, of all of creation. You know, you have people, people restore, you have the forgiveness of sins, you have you know, the restoration of, of, of people writ large. You have, we're, we're able to live beyond even the power of death, you know, here and now. It's just too much. It's too much. We can't fast. We can't. It doesn't mean we, uh, you know, we don't get this right either, you know. It's like... We're going to go out and eat whatever we want to, you know, like, this is not the point of the feast either, right? The feast is a celebration of, of the goodness of God and, and, what, and what he's doing and the rest. So anyway, I don't know, this is, this is perhaps the, the longest way to make, to make very few points, you know, in, in my homily today. It's, but it is, it, Jesus is on the scene. He is the Messiah. He's at the head of his people. He is the bridegroom to the bride, Right, so in, in this sense, just as Jesus is drawing the entire story of Israel to himself, and he is at the very center of it, so too, the, so too our story, both as a church, members of his body, but also, but also as, um, as individuals, right? There's, as persons, right? is to say Jesus also at the center for us. And unless we miss it in, in the first reading, yeah, obedience matters more than anything else. So there, right, God is calling for obedience from, from Saul. He doesn't do it, and he doesn't do it in the strangest way, right? Like, he, he does, he says, I did everything that, that I was commanded to do, except that, right, instead of um, putting everything under the ban, which is like um, total destruction of everything. So instead of destroying everything, we took the very best animals from the flocks, and we sacrifice them to God. And God says, for that disobedience, you'll be removed. Right? Your kingship is at an end. For that act of disobedience. And you're going, that's kind of like what we would otherwise think he should have done. But this is not the nature of obedience, do you know? Is the, the nature of obedience is you follow the command of God. So we have to be in vital relationship with God, with Jesus at the very center. We have to, we have to hear and heed his call. So we have to be trained on him, on, on his word, and we have to be eager to do what it is he calls us to do. Now we know generally what it is he's going to be calling us to do. Right? He's, he's going to be calling us into all manner of human activity and every endeavor that we can imagine in the power of love, right? animated and sustained by his own life of love. We're going to be called into every walk of human life. So we, we have the kind of general sense of things, but when the Spirit comes speaking, we, we have to be ready to obey. 
Yeah, and, it, and again, it's, it's a yes and a no, right? It's like when the Spirit says yes, we say yes. When the Spirit says no, we say no. But, but we have to, be, have to become ever more docile to the Spirit, which doesn't mean that we're soft. It actually means probably that we're stronger because we're stronger with the power of God. We're stronger in the power of love, of charity, of generosity. But when, when the Spirit says, whatever the Spirit says, we, we say yes in obedience. Yeah, and, and that's the relationship. Jesus, again, at, at the very center, he's, he's the bridegroom to, to our bride. Uh, he, is, he is doing a new thing. The work of charity is always a new thing. The work of love is always a new thing. And it's his work. It's his work. He's at the head. He's conducting the renewal movement. So when he speaks, we listen. Yeah. And, and when, when, he's, when he says it, we go. And we go in, in the confidence that he is sending us in the power of his own life of love.